Welcome to episode 59 of Frank Reactions, the show where we help you profit from the digital era through better customer experiences online and off. My name is Tema Frank. In last week's podcast, in case you missed it, I spoke to Matthew Duva about association management and how customer experience and member experience, what are the similarities and what are the differences. So if you missed that, just head on over to frankreactions.com forward slash 58 and you can check that out and download a transcript of it if it uh, if you don't have time to listen to the audio or if you prefer to get things in written format. I know sometimes I do because I can skim through it. Today I have a conversation with Ian Williams, who is a UK-based consultant, and we chat about customer journey mapping. I came across Ian on LinkedIn, where he had commented about how crazy it is that some companies actually pay to have journey maps done and then don't do anything with them. Well, it surprised me when I read that, although maybe it shouldn't have for reasons we'll discuss in the interview. In this interview, we cover things such as the difference between process mapping and customer journey mapping. It's important that you not confuse the two. Whose journeys you should be mapping. And tips for selling senior management on doing customer journey mapping and on doing the follow through. Enjoy the interview and I will chat with you briefly at the end. I came into customer experience uh, from the marketing world, in fact. About 10 years ago, I was working for a large Spanish bank. I was, I was fundamentally doing retention management for them. And then we realized that the problem in terms of retaining customers wasn't, wasn't really what was happening at the end of the, of the uh, experience. It was, it was caused by what was happening at the beginning of the experience because they weren't fundamentally, they weren't being sold the right products and, after a certain amount of time, if the product wasn't right, they would leave. So rather than trying to retain them as a business, I was saying, look, we need to consider their complete experience. And that was my first journey into customer experience management. I fell in love with it from that particular point onwards. I am of the firm belief that customer journey mapping is a central tenet of of customer experience management. So let's talk about what exactly customer journey mapping is. I know many of my listeners will already know, but there may be some who don't. Okay, well, one of the things that we regularly find with organizations that we talk to about customer experience is that they mix up process mapping and customer journey mapping. Customer journey mapping is mapping the experience of the customer from their perspective. So it isn't mapping the processes of the organization, it's mapping the journey that the customer goes on. So it's looking at the experience from their perspective. And that isn't just from a functional perspective, it's also from an emotional perspective. So trying to understand the customer's chronological experience of the business at both an emotional and functional level and the the journey mapping is a process of of how you graphically depict that chronological experience and so process mapping then is looking at it from an internal perspective absolutely this is how we handle in inside out yeah Um, and some organizations that we spoke we speak to think that journey mapping well what we'll do is we'll just take a process map 
and then we will indicate on that process map where the interactions where the cus- with the customer are. But ah. that is not, not a journey map. Because if you do it from that perspective and you just say, here's a process map, here's where we interface with the customers, you, you don't question whether the process is right or not. So yeah. you have to start with a clean sheet of paper and say, okay, what's the journey that they're currently going on at the moment? And if there are low points, can we identify where and why those low points are happening? Mm-hmm. And then we can try and correlate that back to the company's processes in order to be able to say, okay, the customer is having a bad experience at this moment in the journey. What is it about the co- what is it about what the company is doing that's creating that negative experience? And then you can in- go in and, in and have a look at the process and see what's w- wrong from that perspective. So, Ian, you uh, have worked, as you say, with big banks and stuff. When you're dealing with let's say something like a bank, you've got lots of different types of customers going on different journeys. How do you determine which journeys to look at and and through what type of customer's perspective? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, All customers have a slightly different journey. Um, No two customers have exactly the same journey, and that's something that needs to be taken into consideration. Mm -hmm. So... The challenge that you have is that you can't map a journey for every single individual person. Fundamentally, you need to think about the level at which you want to map the journey. So do you want to map the journey at a life cycle level, which takes into consideration the complete uh, life cycle of the customer? Or do you want to do it at a, how can I put it, interaction level? And there's lots of different levels in between those two points at which you need to make the decision where you want to map the journey. Then you need to take into consideration which customers you want to think about. Now, clearly you can group customers. You know, the segmentation and and, uh, still applies. And a a lot of people are now looking at creating personas rather than segments and doing mapping from that perspective. From the organization's perspective, as long as every persona group or segment is important to them, then they need to be creating a journey around that group of customers. In terms of choosing which customer journeys to map, I would think about it from the perspective of, you know, segment your customer base, understand which customer segments are of the or or which persona groups of the greatest importance to you and then prioritize on that basis and work from the the top down you can't be all things to all people absolutely and if you try to be that's where it starts to get dangerous yeah yeah absolutely so and then the journey mapping of course isn't just from a let's map the existing journey perspective there's also the question of you know once you map the existing journey you identify where the problems are then there's the whole question of okay how do we map the future journey what the customer would ideally like to be uh, seeing mm-hmm. and when you're doing that process with organizations i presume you go out and do research directly with the customers to get the sense of what they would consider the ideal journey Absolutely. So um, I am a strong advocate of a market research-based approach to journey mapping, whereby you start with qualitative research, you move from qual to quant through some workshop activities, and then you do quantitative research to substantiate your findings, and then you use that data to map 
what the existing journey would look like empirically, what the ideal journey would look like empirically, and then you have to go through some workshop exercises to turn that empirical evidence into something substantive and qualitative from a service design perspective. Which leads us into what drew you to my attention, which was you had written an article in LinkedIn yep. saying that you seem to be seeing more companies that are doing journey mapping and then thinking, okay, we've done our customer experience thing and not actually doing anything with what they've learned. Can you elaborate a bit on that and, and situations in which you've seen that? Yeah, sure. In the article, I said that I came across one organization who said that they didn't want uh, as part of the proposal that I was putting forward to this organization, that they didn't want journey mapping to be included in the proposal. And we went back to the organization and said, why is that? And they said, well, we've done four sets of journey maps already, and your big challenge is going to be which of those four journey sets of journey maps should be used as opposed to producing another set of journey maps. And I sort of said, so how come that you've done four different journey mapping exercises? And they said, well, we did it one time, and at the end of it, nothing had changed. So we, we did it again, and we did it again. <laughs> and it was So they it, magically it, thought the process of mapping it was going to change things. Exactly, as if sometime, somehow mapping the, the current journey and mapping the future journey in itself was going to be sufficient to improving <laughs> the level of service. But if you think about it, it's, it's very similar to the mentality of doing market research, doing, for example, a customer satisfaction survey and then doing nothing with the results. But how That's many true. how many organizations do that? In a piece of research that was done, I think it was two years ago, and it was done by the Tempkin Group. Uh, I'm sure you've come across Bruce Tempkin. Yeah, I've actually interviewed him on the show. He's a good guy. Um, so some research done by uh, the Tamkin Group a couple of years ago showed that 70% of organizations go through some kind of structure, structured customer feedback exercise, but only 30% do something with it. And you've got to ask yourself, that, that's crazy. Why, why, would you, why would you do that? But it happens. How many people find out how satisfied their customers are just because management want, would like to know? Okay, management would like to know. Yeah, but, 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 but why? <laughs> why would they like to know? What are they going to do with it? And the, the truth is they do nothing with it. Um, and the same applies with journey mapping. The, the danger is that journey mapping becomes what customer satisfaction was, which is it's the, the latest cool thing for everybody to jump on. And I've seen it with customer satisfaction. Probably, you know, customer satisfaction has been popular since the 1970s, 1980s. Or even going further back, the you know creation of vision and mission statements. Absolutely. So creating that is somehow going to change things. Mission, vision, values. We all love those things, don't we? Yeah. And yeah. then the creating of mission, vision, value statements, uh, the introduction of customer satisfaction, the introduction of MPS 10, 15 years ago, and now we have journey mapping where people do this activity because it's cool, and then they don't do anything with it. And for me, that's madness. Doing customer satisfaction research and then not doing nothing with the results is worse than doing nothing. Well, especially if you are going right out to customers. Yeah, exactly. You're asking customers what they think uh, and then you're doing nothing with their feedback. That's worse than not even speaking to them. 
So Ian, as a consultant, and I mean, I've certainly had that experience too, where I've done major research projects and the client was really happy and thrilled to have this insight and particularly in large organizations, then nothing happens. Yeah. How do you deal with that as a consultant? What I do at the the very beginning when I first interact with an organization, I try and find out what they want to do because if they're trying to achieve something and there is no outcome as a result of doing that particular activity, then I don't get involved. I have on one occasion, very early on when I first started my business, um, did some work with one organization who said, we want to do some journey mapping. And I said, oh, yeah, I can do that. And I went along and I helped them do the journey mapping. And it was a successful exercise. And at the end of it, they sort of said, okay, I sort of said to them, okay, what what are we going to do now? And they went, nothing, that's it. (laughs) And I said, why did we do it? And they went, because we'd like to know what the customer's journey is. I said, yeah, but but why? And they couldn't answer that question. And six months on, they phoned me back a little bit later, and they were like, well, we did this exercise with you, and we're really disappointed because nothing's changed. Um, And I said, well, yeah, I know, but that's because you didn't (laughs) want to do anything with the exercise last time around. And I've been burned by that because it, it doesn't it doesn't reflect particularly well on me as an organization. So I've I learned very quickly that when I speak to an organization, if they don't know what the outcome is that they're trying to achieve, I I can work with organizations to try and help them understand what outcome that they want to try and achieve from the activity they want to undertake. If they're prepared to work with me and my organization on understanding what outcome they want to achieve, then that's great. But if there is no discernible or definable outcome as a result of doing the activity and they can't tell me what the discernible or or definable outcome is or they they don't want a discernible or definable outcome, then I just don't do the work with them. I walk away. Yeah. Uh, because if anything, it reflects badly on you. I don't know. Have you had a, any experiences like that, Tana? Oh, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> I absolutely have. And it, it's very frustrating. And that's one of the things that I have found frustrating as a consultant sometimes, particularly to large organizations, is that that often happens. So the person who hired me to do the research ended up presenting these results and wanting to move forward, but it's somebody else's department that has to take the next step. Absolutely. They didn't buy in. So, and again, that was earlier in my career, I think, where like you, I hadn't thought through, okay, how are we going to help them make sure they do something with this? Um, and, And it was frustrating, too, because I literally was prepared to, when I had my previous business, Web Mystery Shoppers, which was basically a large sample size usability testing, I am prepared to offer a guarantee that if you implement the recommendations, you will see your sales increase. But getting to the point where they implement the recommendations with big companies is really, really tough. Yeah, and it's that task orientation towards customer experience which is the most frustrating thing. We talk about um, you know, cross-functional working. We talk about looking at the organization in a non-functional way and looking across the business, not up and down and trying to get people to look at it in their way. But very often they organizations want to do customer experience, but they, when you ask them about the outcomes, for example, if I deal with an internal market research organization within a business, 
I am particularly cautious because often they'll say, okay, we want to do voice of the customer. I'll say, okay, what, what are you going to do with the results? And very often there might be a, a market research director or a market research manager who says, I want to present the results to the board. When you start talking to them about action, uh, closed-loop feedback and action management, they start to glaze over. <laughs> and, and, you know, that's one of the benefits of systems-based uh, voice of the customer, is that you have the mechanisms in place to close the loop. So what do you mean by systems-based voice of the customer? Well, th there are a number of organizations that sell voice of the customer platforms and therefore it's all being driven by a system. You send a survey to a customer immediately after an interaction because their interaction with your organization triggers a survey to be sent to the customer. Yep. They respond to that survey and they provide a, a poor score. Mm -hmm. That would send, set another trigger to say, okay, this customer we sent the survey to has given us a bad res response let's get back in contact with the customer find out why they had a bad experience and see if we can resolve it yeah and that closed loop approach to voice of the customer mm -hmm. is is the right way to go but the problem is that the market research people don't necessarily like systems-based voice of the customer why wouldn't they do you think First of all, <laughs> very often uh, market research people get frightened that, that a VOC platform will replace them. Mm. Because if you have closed-loop feedback and people can respond to customer issues immediately, why do you need to undertake market research? Hmm. But not all market research people, I'm just saying some. Yeah. Um, that's the first reason why they, why they wouldn't like it. The, the second reason is, is that if you look at the market re research society, the, the market research society in the UK, but their view is that if you undertake research, survey research, it should be anonymous. Mm, right. um, but if it's anonymous... Then you can. According to market research society rules, then in theory you should not be able to utilize the customer's data in order to be able to close the loop. That is a really so, interesting point. I hadn't thought of it that way, but yeah. But with all of these things, platform-based VOC, market research-based VOC, customer journey mapping is an absolute central tenet of, of making all of those different things happen. So do you have troubles ever convincing a company that it is worth their effort to do the customer journey mapping? And if so, how do you convince them? Ah, so, yeah. I, the first question is, what is customer experience? And the words customer experience sound relatively straightforward. It's the experience of the customer. However, I look at customer experience slightly differently. Um, marketing people have had the opportunity to own customer experience management for many, many years, and they didn't. Um, because marketing people for years have been talking about the perspective of the customer. But one of the things that customer experience management introduced that marketing never got its head around was the concept of chronology. So when... I talk to organizations and I say, now, what, what is customer experience to you? If they don't understand the, the, chrono the impact of chronology on their relationship with the customer, then I know that there's going to be a, a bit of a problem. <laughs> I remember on one occasion I was sitting with um, 
the CEO of a, a large organization. No, well, uh, I won't say any more than that. <laughs> you know, we were having a chat, and after about half an hour, he kind of broke down a little bit, but started mm-hmm. to get a little bit, a bit upset. And he couldn't get his head around. He, he was having problems with his customers. They had tried to resolve the issues, but they couldn't resolve the issues. And he said that all his internal teams were fighting with each other. He spent more time trying to stop fights between members of his C-suite than he he did dealing with customer issues. So I said, oh, tell me a little bit about your organization. And the first thing he did is he pulled out an org chart and he started describing all of the different functions of of the, the organization. Yeah. Uh, all of the different levels of the, within the business, you know, a standard org chart. Right. And I, this sounds corny, so please bear with me, uh, <laughs> Tana. I said to him, right, okay, show me where the customer is. And he went, oh, that's interesting. Where is the customer? <laughs> so he got his pen out and he drew, drew a little stick man next to the org chart. And then I said, okay, and what's the first time that this customer comes across your business. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, probably through some kind of marketing or branding activity. Mm -hmm. So I got my pen out and I drew a little line from the little stick man to the marketing department. Yeah. And then I said, and what happens next? He said, well, they might be persuaded to buy one of our products. And I said, so they need to, who do they speak to next? He said, well... They'll speak to the, the sales team. Mm-hmm. So we drew a little line from the marketing department to the sales team. And we carried on doing this. They were, then we went to billing, and then we went to uh, after-sales support, and then we went to customer service. And this line jumped all around the organization. Mm-hmm. And I said, right, so what can you tell me? And he said, the way that the customer experiences our organization is different from the way that we experience it. Right. He said, we think about ourselves in terms of levels and functions, but the customer thinks about it in terms of their chronological interactions with our business. And I went, bingo. It was the first time that he got his head around what customer experience management was really about. Hmm. And then, at that point, because he suddenly realized that their experience of the organization was all about time, it was at that point that I was able to persuade him that he needed to undertake customer journey, journey mapping as a first step. Mm-hmm. So once they've done a journey map, what do you find is the most effective next step to get them to start acting on those results? The the first thing that we do is, you know, vo- voice of the customer. And then from the voice of the customer, that's when we do the journey mapping. The question isn't what do we get them to do next. The question is how we get them to do the journey mapping. Mm. Because if you get the organization to do the journey mapping themselves as opposed to doing it for them, so my role becomes a facilitator, mm-hmm. if you get them to own the journey mapping. Right. But one of the things I do with organizations right at the beginning, at the very beginning, is I sit down with their senior management team and say, right, guys, you, you're not in charge anymore. And they go, what do you mean? You say, well, we're, we're gonna, we need to do some journey mapping, don't we? And they went, yeah, yeah, we, we've bought into the idea of journey mapping. I said, but it's not going to be you guys who do it. You're not actually going to be involved. Mm-hmm. 
and there's a few puzzled looks on their faces. And I said, what we're going to do is we're going to get the front line of your organization to do this. Yep. Because if you change, if you map the current journeys, and then you map the future journeys, and then you have to change the internal processes to match the future journeys. Yep. The problem is, is if you impose new processes on people as a result of the journey mapping activities, they'll, they'll do it for a couple of weeks. But unless it's supported by a robust system. Um, so often what happens is if you change processes, but you cannot change the systems to support those processes, because you know what it's like working with IT departments. It can take weeks and weeks and weeks for them to change their systems to support the processes, to support the journey maps. Mm-hmm. If you change the processes and you can't change the systems, if you impose those processes on people and you train them on what the new processes will look like, after a few weeks, guess what? They go back to the old way of doing things. Yeah. The two ways you can get new processes to stick are to make sure that you have robust systems in place to support those processes. Mm-hmm. And the other way is by getting those people who have to use those processes on a daily basis to map those processes for themselves. Yes. And they can only map those processes if they are the ones who have mapped the, the customer experience. When, when we say once we've done a journey map, how do we persuade them what to do next? You don't have to. <laughs> if you get the frontline teams to map the existing customer journeys, map the future customer journeys, the next thing that has to happen is, okay, what are we going to do with our products and our processes in order to reflect what these new journeys look like? However, you don't have to impose that on them. Those people will make the decisions themselves. They will take ownership of it. And in my mind... That process of getting frontline teams to lead your customer journey mapping activity is culture change. They will make changes to the processes. And as a result of giving them that ownership, that culture changes. Until they bang up against someone internally who won't buy-in. And that's the, that's the challenge. That's why right at the very, very beginning, you have to take the senior management team through this process and say, this is what we're going to do, guys. And you, you have to get them to understand that their role is to as enablers to allow the frontline teams to make the changes. Yeah. The problem that you usually have, and I have to say this in most organizations, it's middle management. Yeah. yeah. Because they're the ones who want to protect their little empires. So um, certainly in, in my experience, getting the frontline teams to push upwards to the middle management and getting the senior management team to push downwards to the middle management usually unblocks those blockages. If, if, if the people in the middle are getting the same message from both directions, change will happen. Well, we're, I've taken a fair bit of your time. Is there anything that you wish I'd asked you and I haven't? You asked the best questions. <laughs> um, Thank you. <laughs> anything you wish that you'd... Yeah. At the end of the day, digital technology, all of these wonderful things, all these wonderful tools that we have to deliver a great ex- customer experience, they're all fantastic, but they're kind of a, a sideshow. The, the same theme applies year after year after year, which is customer experience isn't what you do. It's what the customer gets. One thing that really struck me in this interview was the statement that 
doing customer satisfaction research and then doing nothing with the results is actually worse than doing nothing. It's a mistake that a lot of companies actually make. They do the follow-up customer satisfaction surveys whenever you've interacted with their staff, but then nothing changes. And so the customers get really frustrated because they spent their valuable time giving you feedback and you couldn't be bothered to do anything with it. You can download the transcript for today's episode and the action steps from the interview. That's something I'm starting to do now for every episode is put together uh, some action steps coming out of it. So you can get all that by going to frankreactions.com forward slash 59. If you haven't already, you might also want to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and uh, sign up for the Frank Ideas newsletter, which keeps you up to date with everything that I post on the blog, whether it's a podcast or not. One thing that really frustrates a lot of podcasters is that we don't really know much about who's listening. I mean, we can get some basic numbers and what countries you live in, but not a lot beyond that. So if you can do it safely, which is to say you're not in the middle of driving a car or running quickly on a fast-moving treadmill, I'd be really, really grateful if you just take a moment, whip out your phone right now, and send an email to tema at frankreactions.com. That's T-E-M as in mother, A, or M as in marketing, A, at frankreactions.com. And just tell me what kind of work you do. I'd really appreciate that as a first step to getting to know you a little bit better. If you want to elaborate and tell me what you like and don't about the podcast, that's great, but don't even have to take the time to do that. Just tell me what kind of work you do. That's all I've got for today. Have a wonderful week, and I will chat with you again next week. Bye. Bye.